But let's begin reading in John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was a division, uh, again, among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe, because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts bow before you because you are the supreme ruler, Lord, creator, and authority over all that exists. Your power is infinite. Your knowledge is unlimited. Your 
uh, glory, your splendor is overwhelming. We can't even look at you and live. Father, your glories are beyond even our ability to completely grasp and understand. You are worthy of all the praise of every being in the universe, whether angels or human beings or anyone else. And so we praise you this morning, Father, because you're worthy of praise. Lord, we come to you not because we are worthy to come before you, but we come to you with nothing in our hands except the sin that requires you to forgive us. Lord, we are sinners. We are not deserving of your love and your kindness. And so we ask that you would bring the the sacrifice of Christ on the cross to bear upon each one of those sins. We come to you with our pride, with our hatred, with our lust, with our greed, with our ungodly fear, and with everything else, and ask you, Father, please forgive for Jesus' sake. Lord, we claim his blood this morning, and we thank you that you have made him the good shepherd of the sheep. And Lord, not just here in this flock, but all across the world, you have called out a people to yourself and are bearing witness to the goodness of Christ through churches all over the place. And Lord, we, we think specifically of City View Community Church here in Mineral Wells and Pastor Gary Word. Uh, Lord, they have uh, faithfully, uh, consistently proclaimed your goodness and borne witness to your identity as the Lord for years. And I pray that today you would build them up in their faith and that you would cause them to find joy, comfort, peace, and boldness in their obedience to you as a result of the worship service that they are enjoying right now. Lord, we pray as well for our neighbors and our relatives and our uh, acquaintances and family members who have uh, given their lives for uh, as first responders or as military veterans uh, in the wake of this 20-year anniversary of the September 11th uh, tragedy, the wickedness that was perpetrated against our nation on that day. Uh, I pray that you would, uh, as these folks reflect on these times, I pray that you would Cause them to find rest and peace in Christ. We know that uh, those uh, people who are involved in these types of callings and vocations uh, find that they face evil every day. And, And so I pray that you would give them, especially those in our congregation, special grace to stand in righteousness and to find courage and strength in you. And Lord, I pray that as we open your word and consider the identity of your son, Jesus, as our shepherd, that you would cause us to follow him. And if there are any here who are not a part of that flock, I pray that you would show them that reality and give them eyes to see their need of a savior. And I pray that you would save souls today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, typically here at Indian Creek Baptist Church, uh, if you're our guest today, uh, we spend most of our worship service opening up the Word of God and hearing preaching from the Bible. And our normal approach to preaching is what you might call expositional preaching. That is, we go section by section, paragraph by paragraph through a book of the Bible uh, from start to finish. And we examine what's there in that particular book and we apply it to our lives and then we go about our day. Uh, But every once in a while, it's edifying, I think, to come to Scripture and to ask, what does the whole Bible say about this or that topic? Uh, What does all of Scripture say about this or that topic. So for five weeks, that's what we're going to do. That's what we've been doing. We're going to the whole Bible and we're asking, what does God's word say about the fact that God reveals himself as our shepherd? It's all over the place in scripture. Uh, Just about every book of the Bible has some sort of imagery of sheep following a shepherd. It's a rich root metaphor branching out in all directions. And one of the joys of this study for me has been not only just to to pour over scripture and, 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 and examine what does all of the Bible say about this topic, but then also to, uh, to, to consider the way that various climates and, and terrains and economic situations uh, have led to different types of shepherding and, and a variety of those different types of shepherding appear and undergird the teaching of Scripture on this topic. Last week, for example, we talked about the fact that in the ancient Near East, especially in the arid climates of the south, the, the, the Negev or the Sinai Peninsula, caring for sheep is a nomadic enterprise. It involves taking a huge flock from one place to another. It's a pilgrimage. It's a, it's a journey. And that has implications for us as we follow the Lord as our shepherd. Well, the late New Testament scholar and longtime resident of the Middle East, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, in his last published book, The Good Shepherd, published in 2016, describes a different shepherding paradigm that he himself was able to witness, uh, a paradigm that has remained in place for centuries all the way up to the present. He describes what used to be common and is still present in some small Palestinian villages. A small cluster of agrarian households are are situated together in a maze of tiny streets. Each household possesses just a handful of livestock, a few sheep, some chickens, uh, maybe a cow or a donkey, maybe a, a couple of goats, and they can't afford the manpower it takes to lead to, to, to take one grown-up in that household and, and lead the sheep. Uh, just from that household. And so what these villages would do is the households all on one street uh, pull their resources together and hire uh, one young man or or even a couple of young girls to shepherd the sheep from an entire street worth of households. Each morning the shepherd takes his place in the middle of the street and begins to call his sheep, in some instances calling those sheep by name. A member of the household opens the gate. And the sheep immediately leap toward their shepherd as he makes his way toward the main thoroughfare where other flocks have already begun the journey out of the village. And and listen to this description from an eyewitness observer in the 19th century. You can just picture this scene in your mind. He says, quote, The shepherds led their flocks forth from the gates of the city. They were in full view and we watched them and listened to them with no little interest. 
Thousands of sheep and goats were there, grouped in dense, confused masses. The shepherds stood together until all came out. Then they separated, each shepherd taking a different path, and uttering as he advanced a shrill, peculiar call. The sheep heard them. At first, the masses swayed and moved as if shaken by some internal convulsion. Then, points struck out in the directions taken by the shepherds. These became longer and longer until the confused masses were resolved into long, living streams flowing after their leaders. This is the way of sheep. That once they are hefted to a particular piece of land and they grow used to a particular shepherd, they He knows them, and and they know him. They recognize his voice. They recognize him as the leader of the flock. And each morning he leads them out. And when the time comes to return home, the sheep know where to go. And then the the, the shepherd follows behind in order to protect them from predators on their way home. So, folks, here's the big idea of, of today's sermon. Just like any shepherd in that sort of village, the good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep. That is, he has a relationship with us, the sheep of his flock. This is a knowledge that is more than just the knowledge of facts. It's not that he just knows things about us, nor is it the kind of knowledge of of just a skill, like he knows how to lead sheep. It's more than that. He knows us. He relates to us. He speaks and we understand. He leads us and we follow him. He calls us by name. So we're going to see today that this reality is one of the most precious things that we can know about our God. The good shepherd knows his sheep. We are known. And that reality flushes itself out in at least three different ways. So first of all, the good shepherd knows our frame. The good shepherd knows our frame. As a father shows compassion to his children, we're told in the 103rd Psalm, so the Lord has compassion on his own. Why? For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Uh, If you were uh, to go into my house, there are parts of my house where I can tell you with a high degree of confidence which parts of the wall you could hang a heavy shelf on and which parts you need to avoid. Why is that? Because I've worked on my house when the the drywall was pulled away and I've seen where all the different studs are. I know the framework of my house. And this is the way our good shepherd knows us. He understands our frame. He knows that we are dust. He remembers that we are dust. Throughout scripture, the compassion of the Lord is linked to the compassion that a shepherd has toward the sheep. In his flock, sheep that many of whom are leading around young lambs. Uh, For example, back in Genesis 33, uh, Jacob, the patriarch, is leading one of these flocks. And he goes to meet his brother Esau. And Esau says, come on, let's go. And and Jacob says, oh, wait a second, I've got to slow down a little bit because I know my flock. I know that I've got these ewes back here who are leading little lambs. And they're nursing right now. And if they don't rest, they're going to break down. They're going to be unable to continue. And they're going to die. He knew his flock. Any shepherd worth his salt has to understand the limitations of the sheep of his flock. He has to know how fast they can walk. He has to know how far they can walk. 
how long they can travel without food or water. He needs to be aware which sheep get easily spooked by the sheepdogs. He needs to know which ones have a tendency to overestimate their jumping abilities. A good shepherd knows his flock. And our shepherd knows us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. See, the God of the Bible is also the God who made the world, the God who made each of us in the womb. He is intimately acquainted with every part of our nature. He understands our limitations. He he knows us better than we know ourselves. Have you ever thought about the differences between our knowledge of ourselves and the people around us and God's knowledge of ourselves and the people around us? Think about this. Our knowledge is acquired We gain it over time. We pick it up along the way. God's knowledge is intuitive. Someone used to say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He already knew it, right? He doesn't learn anything. He's never learned a single thing. He is never surprised, never confused, never missing pieces of the puzzle. puzzle. Our knowledge is piecemeal. We only see a part of the picture. God's knowledge is comprehensive. We know a little bit about the past, a little bit more about the present, and almost nothing about the future, but God knows all of the above. His knowledge is comprehensive. We can't peer into the secret thoughts of our closest confidants. Even looking into our own hearts and and navel-gazing, so to speak, yields limited and sometimes confusing results. And yet God knows us fully. Our knowledge is passive and reactive. Things happen, realities occur, then we learn from those things. We react to those things. God's knowledge is the opposite. God's knowledge is causative. Like nothing would exist in reality if it had not first existed in the mind and the imagination of God. God's knowledge is altogether different from ours. He has an infinite mind. He brought it all to pass. He knew you before you even existed because he caused you to exist. Who we are is not hidden from him. He knows our frame. So what does this mean? It means that all the things that you are afraid to show other people, all the things that you can't bear to think about even yourself, God already knows those things. So often we're like the little child first learning to play hide and seek. I mean, you remember playing hide and seek with your young Uh, children or maybe your grandchildren or a niece or a nephew, we think if we can pull the blanket over our face and we can't see anybody else, that that we ourselves are hidden. And that's cute when you're two years old, but not so much when you're trying to hide from God. God already knows everything about you. He knows about the envy and the jealousy. He knows about the lust and the hatred and the drunkenness. He knows about the time you experimented with drugs. He knows about the time you almost threw something at your child. The time that you slammed your fist on the steering wheel as you drove away from work. He knows about the cheating, the abortion, the sabotage, the betrayal. He knows how many times you have asked for forgiveness and how many times you've gone back like a pig to the mud. He knows how many times you've gotten off your soapbox and immediately gone and done the very thing you just condemned. He knows about the times you've tried and failed and the times you failed even to try. He knows it all. He knows our frame. And folks, think about this. We are still breathing. 
we are still here. We are still enjoying all of the things that God has made. So what does that tell us about our God? Our good shepherd is a merciful, kind, loving God. In fact, as Paul tells us in the book of Romans, it would be one thing for somebody to lay down his life and die on behalf of a good person. That does happen, but it's rare, but it does happen. But while we were still God's enemies... When he knew every single part of all of our being, inside and out, was infected to one degree or another with rebellion, every single part of who we are, God did not bring down the hammer, but instead he patiently began to weave together a tapestry of redemption, centuries in the making, until the day when the good shepherd himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, became the sacrificial lamb who would shed his blood on behalf of the guilty so that we could experience the fullness of the love of the Father. This is our God. He knows us. He knows our frame. He knows that we're dust. He knows the corruption that is in our heart. And yet, he sent his son into the world to take our place. What a good God. This idea that you have to clean up your act in order to have a relationship with God. Uh, You know, I'll come to church when I get things in order I'll come to the Lord once I've cleaned up my life a little bit. It's not just incorrect. It's almost silly if it weren't so tragic. Uh, He already knows all that stuff. He knows our frame. He built it. He knows our weaknesses and our sins, and yet he still pursues us. He leaves the 99 safe in the fold, and he goes after that lost one. He knows our frame. The good shepherd knows his sheep. Secondly, though, consider with me that the good shepherd knows our pain. The good shepherd knows our pain. Uh, One of the fascinating ironies about God's revelation of himself as the good shepherd is that when this title is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture, there there are some times when it's juxtaposed with Christ's identity, not just as the shepherd, but as the Lamb of God. In uh, He's, he's the shepherd king, but he's also the lamb. So think about the book of Revelation, for example. John is shown this vision of a lamb in the book of Revelation. And the lamb is as it had been slain. And yet, immediately the vision transforms, and John finds himself looking not just at a slain lamb, but at a conquering ram. Later, we're told that the martyrs of the Great Tribulation are uh, gaining the victory. They're, They're conquering, not through worldly violence and power, but through the blood of the Lamb. And then we're told by John, the Lamb will shepherd them. Now that literary irony is is really meaningful. One of the entailments is that our shepherd knows by experience our pain. He knows the things that we feel as lambs of the flock of God. Being a sheep is hard. It's painful. Standing out there in the soggy grass while the rain drives against us and chills us to the bone. I mean, that's not easy. But our shepherd isn't somebody just hanging out in the farmhouse. He knows our pain. He knows what it's like. He's aware. Sure, he knows everything by virtue of his divinity, his identity as the creator, but when I say he knows our pain, I mean more than that. I mean to say that he knows our pain because he has felt it himself. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Uh, This is where deep theology helps us out. You know, we often take our thoughts about Jesus and we kind of make him into, uh, we, we imagine Jesus as this 
mixture between God and man. Like he's a man, but he's also got these special supernatural powers. And so the Jesus of our imagination ends up being something like a Marvel superhero. But that's not what scripture reveals. See, when he was conceived in the body of the Virgin Mary, he did not set aside his divinity, nor did he merely take on the skin of a human being, but he he remained truly and fully God and became truly and fully man. Our Lord is one person with two complete natures, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved. So here's what that means. That's deep theology, but here's what that means. Every human trial, every human weakness he shared. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus of Nazareth buried his adoptive father, Joseph? Like one day, Jesus was swinging a hammer alongside his father, and the next day he went to work and he was swinging his hammer, and Joseph wasn't there. He knows grief. Jesus felt the cold and the loneliness of lying down at night alone. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus had friends, that he felt betrayal, that he knew both physical and emotional and spiritual and psychological pain? He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The good shepherd knows our pain. Some of you have spent more time in grief and loss than I have, but it seems to me that uh, one of the cruelties of grief and loss is uh, uh, the, the loneliness involved. Like you go to a funeral and there's all these people around and they're saying all these nice things and the vast majority of them are truly kind and they're trying to weep with those who weep and they're doing all these nice things for you but you hear these people talk and they're trying their best to, to, to sympathize and to empathize with you but they are just not in that crucible with you. In a very real sense, you are there alone. And yet we know, in those moments, the good shepherd knows our pain. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Some of you are so hard on yourselves in these moments, and you expect yourselves to be like everybody else's rock. And what you may need to know and remember is that it is okay for you to need the shepherd. He knows your pain. It's okay to be a sheep of the flock. There is one who knows, one who has felt it, one who has experienced the grief and the confusion and the anguish. You know, I'm convinced that we don't really give this reality full weight in our evangelical churches. We come into church and uh, so often it's, hey, brothers, how's this tremendous weather we're having? Isn't this great? Right? Nobody's going to steal my joy. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Everything's awesome. Do you really always feel like that? I mean, what is this, Mary Poppins? What Bible are we reading sometimes? I mean, did you know that out of the Psalms, the most common genre, the most common type of psalm in the Psalter is a lament psalm? It's not always heavenly sunshine. Sometimes it's, oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you day and night. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to me, for my soul is full of troubles. And guess what? He knows. He understands. You are not walking alone. 
The good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows our frame. He knows our pain. But in the third place, consider that the good shepherd knows our name. The good shepherd knows our name. What I mean to say is that our good shepherd has a personal relationship with every individual sheep of his flock. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In John 10, Jesus offers what might be the most remarkable exposition of the idea of the good shepherd in the entire Bible. Uh, He begins by contrasting himself with the thieves and the robbers and the hired hands. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Uh, A not-so-subtle dig against the religious leaders living in Jerusalem during that time. Men who should have shepherded Israel but instead devoured the flock for their own personal gain. At best, these leaders were hired hands. They had no personal investment in the flock. And so when the Roman government came in to devour the flock, they just said, hey, I'm going to get out of the way and let you do your thing. But Jesus is not like this. Instead of sacrificing the sheep for himself, he sacrifices himself for the sheep. And he knows every member of the flock. Consider in the first place, he knows which sheep are his. He knows which sheep are are his. He calls his own sheep by name, he says. Uh, earlier in the service, we read from the 34th chapter of Ezekiel, in which God promises that he is going to decide between sheep and sheep. It's kind of an odd phrase, but you get the picture. Uh, here's The world is kind of like this open range, and all these flocks are mixed together. And the shepherd comes out, and he begins to call his sheep and sort them, and he can tell which ones are his, which ones belong to him, and which ones do not. The good shepherd knows the difference. He will sort out the imposters and lead his true sheep into safety. There are some who, to whom he will say, enter the joy of your Lord, and to others, depart from me. The Lord knows which of us belong to him and which do not. But let me ask you a question. Do you know? Do you know which flock you belong to? I can't tell you how many times I've asked someone if they expect to live with God forever when they die. Like, do you expect when you die to live in heaven with God forever? And they say something like, I hope so. They don't know. And I realize many Christians believe that you really can't know that you're really truly one of God's sheep, or that maybe that you're God's sheep now, but you might lose it later on. But folks, listen. Scripture is clear. There is a clear distinction between Jesus' sheep and everybody else, and I just want to say that Jesus is not confused about who is who. He knows which ones are his. And he doesn't want you to be confused either. He says to those who receive him, even to those who believe in his name, to these he gave the right to be called the sons of God. To those who believe in his name. What does that mean? It means to have faith. What is faith? The writer of the Hebrews says this, faith without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here's what that means. Part of following Jesus is to believe that he is going to fulfill his promise to save not just some people out there, but he's going to save 
me. He's going to reward me because I am seeking him. I have faith. He knows me. He calls me by name. He is the good shepherd. He knows which sheep are his, and he wants you to know as well. So friends, if you do not know if you belong to his flock or not, there is nothing more important. You need to drop everything and make that right. You must know whether you are one of his sheep or not. Please, don't wait. The good shepherd knows us by name. He knows which sheep are his. But consider as well, he's known by his sheep. He's known by his sheep. This is a reciprocal relational knowledge that Jesus has. I know my own and my own know me. A stranger they will not follow. Only the shepherd. The sheep follow the shepherd because they know his voice. Uh, In the eyewitness accounts uh, I mentioned earlier in the uh, sermon, Dr. Bailey mentions that each shepherd, when they gather their sheep from the village each morning, they, they come to the middle of the street and they call their sheep. And he says some of them have a unique song. Some of them just say sort of a generic thing. But what's interesting is that if a shepherd, or, or I'm sorry, if a stranger calls the shepherd's sheep using the same words or the same song, the sheep will not follow. Because it's not the song that brings the sheep out. It's the voice of the shepherd. The sheep recognize the voice of the one calling him. And this is what it is for us, folks. He wants us to know him. From time to time, I hear people say that to hear the voice of God, it's really all about hearing this audible voice telling us where to go and what to do. And folks, listen, that's fine, but that's not really what Jesus is talking about in this passage. He's talking about the way that a sheep can recognize the voice of their shepherd as distinct from all the strange voices out there in the world. He's talking about the confidence of having a relationship with us that is so intimate and personal and close that we develop the ability to distinguish the voice of Jesus in the midst of the cacophony of life. People talk to me about this type of thing all the time. They hear, they read something, they hear a sermon, they hear God's word taught, and they just think, yes, that's the voice of my Lord, Jesus Christ. This is to be one of the most remarkable realities of the Christian life that Christ gives to his sheep a discerning ear to pick out the voice of Jesus in the midst of all that noise. And the more you press into following Jesus, the more your discernment will grow. He knows which sheep are his. He is known by his sheep. But consider as well, just digging a little bit deeper, his relationship with us, his knowledge of us is independent of the opinions of anybody else. I think this is so important. He says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, it's not immediately clear which sheep Jesus is talking about specifically here in the Gospel of John. Maybe he means to refer to some Jewish believers who were not physically present when he was speaking. Maybe he's talking about Gentile believers who were not welcomed by the Judeans but were nevertheless living by faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe he meant to refer to those who later on, like you and me, would believe as a result of the, the, the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. It's hard to say, but I'm, I'm inclined to think that that's kind of the point. That There are sheep in Jesus' flock whose relationship with him lies beyond the scope of our knowledge. Like it's not about what we think, it's about what he thinks. He knows and his knowledge is independent of anything that anybody else knows. 
There's one shepherd who knows us all. His knowledge is independent from the opinions of men. And that means that when you are not acknowledged by anyone else, when you are not recognized by men, when you are misunderstood and disregarded, there is one shepherd who knows you nevertheless. He knows his sheep by name. He knows which are his. He's known by them. His knowledge is independent of the opinions of anybody else. But think with me about what may be the sweetest truth of all. Jesus' relationship of knowledge with the sheep is an outgrowth of his relationship with his heavenly father. Isn't that what he says here in John chapter 10? I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. It's the same type of relationship. So think about what that means. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, think back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So before you ever existed, before there was a world, a planet Earth, before there was even the beginning of a universe, there was nothing but God And God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit existed eternally in this unbroken, unlimited, untiring, uninhibited, unboring, unfathomable love toward one another within the mysterious relations of the Trinity. God was known to himself and loved. He was the source of his own eternal joy. And it is this eternal relationship, this love, this mutual knowledge that serves as the basis and the paradigm for the shepherd's love for you. That is remarkable. In a passage that has since become almost an everyday part of evangelical vernacular, New York pastor Tim Keller describes this sort of love in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. And friends, this is what Jesus means when he says, I know my sheep. He knows us by name. He knows our true identity. And for those who are in Christ, his knowledge of us is of a peace with his own relationship with his heavenly father. It's a loving knowledge. He knows our frame. He knows our pain. He knows our name. Say, okay, well, what does that have to do with us at a practical level? Where does that leave us practically? I'll leave you with two takeaways. In the first place, you must make it your life's aim to be certain that you belong to him. You must make it your life's aim to be certain that you belong to him. Set aside all the priorities that you have until you have settled the question of whether or not you have eternal life, whether or not you are a sheep of his flock. Uh, there may be a good reason why you're doubting. Maybe it's because even though you believe something intellectually, the life that you're living shows that you don't really own that faith. 
You aren't really following Christ at all. You know some churchy things to say, but deep down inside, that's not really you. Or maybe you sort of believe what the Bible says about Jesus, but you're living in a way that demonstrates that, that that's not saving faith. It's not real faith that's transformed you from the inside out. Or maybe you're really a believer and you're just kind of veering off the path and you need to get back on track. But make it your life's goal. Examine yourselves today to see whether you are in the faith. There is nothing more important than knowing for sure that you belong to the flock. Not only that, but true joy and peace depend upon the conviction that his love for you will never let go, never run out, never grow tired. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That is a source of joy and if you don't have that confidence, you are robbing yourself of the joy you need and the tenacity and the endurance you need to follow him today. You need that assurance. That's the first takeaway. Here's number two. The Christian life The life of following Christ is a life of being known. It's a life of being known. We Americans love our privacy, right? We love our autonomy. We love to control the narratives of our lives. The story everybody else gets on social media, it is filtered. It's curated. The real me is is something that we lock inside and we keep away from everybody else. And let's just recognize that for what it is. That is... That impulse to hide, that is part and parcel of the fall, folks. What did Adam do the the minute that he sinned and disobeyed? And God begins to pursue him in the garden. What does Adam do? What do Adam and Eve do? They run and they hide, right? Uh, But our shepherd, the one who lays down his life for us, he begins to melt that attitude away. So instead of running away from the shepherd, we slowly begin to pursue the shepherd as he pursues us. Instead of withdrawing from the flock, we press into the flock. See, some of you are not reaping the fullness of the blessing of what it means to be a part of the flock of God, of what it means to follow Christ, because it is something that you're trying to do alone. That's not how it works. You're afraid of being known, and until you move past that, you aren't going to benefit fully from life in the flock. Now, I believe that if you take that step of faith here at Indian Creek, you will be rewarded with being built up by the body of Christ. That if you pursue the relationships of transparency and honesty and openness with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you'll find not only that you're known, but also that you're loved and that you're welcomed and that you're cared for as a sheep of the flock. But here's what that means for us as a church. It places a huge responsibility on us, folks. We had better be a place where we can be honest. We had better be a place where we can be transparent and vulnerable. We had better be a family where people can be known, where they can trust us to know them as they trust Christ to know them. Where people can let themselves be known without the fear that that exposure is going to be used against them somehow later on. See, the good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our pain. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows our name. He doesn't just rescue us from judgment. He welcomes us into relationship with himself. And folks, what a joy to know that we are known and loved by such a good shepherd. Would you pray with me now? Father, I... 
like we have the last few weeks, we just want to rest in this truth for a moment. That while the world places all sorts of demands on us, demands that we cannot control and cannot meet, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. That you are gentle and lowly in heart. And that when we come to you, we can be known and loved and welcomed. So Lord, I pray that if there are any here today who just feel uncertain about their status in the flock, that you would give them the humility to pursue that certainty, perhaps even in community with another believer. And Lord, that you would make us a place where it is completely safe to be known. Make us a church, make us a family where we don't have to walk in and, and, and plaster on a smile and say, how are you? Oh, and move right past. Father, make us a place where the culture of this church reflects the priorities of your heart. Father, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.